0: This is Masters in Travel, a rendezvous at the intersection of travel and business to accelerate your success. I'm your host, Whitney, owner of Undiscovered Sunsets. Each episode, we have one goal in mind, to share experiences, insights, and resources to help you maximize your potential. Masters in Travel is a podcast, community, and academy for travel advisors by travel advisors, and I'm so glad to have you join the conversation. Get ready to become a master in travel. Hello everyone, welcome to Masters in Travel. I'm your host, Whitney. Today's conversation comes from this month's Master Hour, a special coaching session that is hosted every month inside the Masters in Travel community and think tank. This is a monthly coaching call where community members can bring their questions and their ideas to a panel of experts for feedback. Each community member has 15 minutes to share with us their specific challenge and then we talk it through together. To provide a diverse array of ideas and to bring in fresh perspectives, The panel changes each month to include two new experts on the panel. You'll always find myself, a fellow community member, and an outside person, an expert in their own right. Someone who knows and understands what it's like to be a service-based small business owner, but who may or may not be in the travel industry. Okay. Let's dive into this month's master hour. I hope you enjoy the conversation and walk away with a few insights that you can apply in your own business. Welcome everyone to our first master hour. This is a monthly coaching call for the Masters Travel community and Think Tank where advisors can bring questions to a panel to just kind of sort through what's going on in our business right here and right now. Our monthly Think Tanks are a really great place to kind of push us, to challenge us, to really encourage us to step into our CEO role of our own businesses and really kind of look down big vision, 30,000 foot view. This master hour is our opportunity to come to the table and say, this is what's happening in my business right here, right now. Let's take 15 minutes to ask questions, brainstorm, work through some challenges, and then hopefully right away we go back to our businesses and we can start taking action and executing. So it's a little bit more of the in your business, let's do this. So for this month's panel, I have invited in Kareem Johnson, who is a travel advisor in our higher level think tank. Kareem, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. And I've also invited a dear friend and fellow multi-passionate entrepreneur, Emily Steele, who's the owner of Love Local. Emily, thank you so much for being here with us. Yes, of course. So for our first question today, we have Rochelle. Rochelle, do you remember the question that you sent in? Do you want to give us a little introduction into your question? And then for the next 15 minutes, we will be here to work through it together with you.
1: I think my question is really very basic. And Whitney, this is not new to you, is the establishment of the business and the systems. We had this conversation, what, two weeks ago, and it was all about marketing, that I feel like I'm not even in that place and just really needing that foundation and trying to do that at the same time that I'm trying to manage a book of business that I honestly know is too big. But I don't want to be a disappointer. So it's it's becoming this sort of emotional decision about like, you know, the protect your peace hashtag, right. And understanding how to do that and implement the systems. You know, I've honestly just spent like 20 minutes on travel joy this morning. And I'm like, why am I not doing this? I think I'd need to set aside two days and just shut down the client correspondence, but I'm having a problem sort of wrapping my brain around that in terms of being able to do that with the momentum of keeping up with client work. Mm -hmm. I know it's possible, but as a people pleaser, it's difficult to do and that sense of urgency to respond to clients. So I know that that's not a healthy decision. So this maybe really isn't even a question, except that is really where I'm trying to figure out what that hierarchy of organization is. What should I really be doing first? I mean, check, I finally have official terms and conditions and spent like, honestly, I have to tell you, I didn't want to do it because I just didn't want to do it. And it took about two hours. I mean, it was really not a big deal, but so it really is earmarking that stuff up. Chris, my husband, actually uploaded that to Travel Joy this morning. Of course, I don't have a vessel to do it. Now it's sitting in Travel Joy. so I have to write my client agreements. But I think it's just the 117,000 things. And I knew that protecting my business was the most important thing in terms of protecting the money part of it, my reputation. So I had to get that terms and conditions. I used Tom Carpenter, by the way, who was really... Amazing and made it really easy and not so scary. I mean, like, I didn't even want to read the damn terms and conditions. I know my clients don't. And it's short, it's abbreviated. So, anyways, that's where I'm at in terms of the hierarchy. Like, what do I have to do? What do I need to do? I know what I need to do, but I can't see it from the outside in. My husband said it's like trying to build an airplane while you're flying it. That is what I'm doing.
0: I love the way that you phrase this—the hierarchy of organization when we're feeling overwhelmed. Emily, Rochelle, and I have talked a lot about this, and Rochelle has also been in kind of organization and systemization related courses with Karine and I. So I'm going to throw this to you first. Is there anything that you see with business owners that you're working with that just like the extreme overwhelm of business is going so well? But I'm drowning. Mm -hmm. How do I start to organize and where do
2: I begin? Mm -hmm. What comes to mind for you? I mean, this is like so common. I feel like everyone hits this point at some level in their business. And For me, something that just has resonated so much is what is something I can do that's like makes the business 1% better every single day. It's like this Atomic Habits by James Clear. It's an amazing book, but it's just this idea that like, you don't have to do everything. Like you don't have to sit down for a full day and do everything. What's one form you can get done today that you can automate with your like contact form. So someone gets a welcome email to your scheduling link. What is like the thing you can do next week that makes your business operate 1% better? Or maybe it doesn't involve you in the day-to-day decision-making. There's just this mindset. I think that's, it's just so like, I got to get things automated. I got to systematize. I got to make processes. And like, yes, it's true. But like you serving your clients is the most important element of your business. So how can you give yourself some grace and some room to just say like, what's like one thing I can do this week or today instead of just everything (laughs) in one week? And then for me, as someone who does feel very creative and just like a little bit all over the place, I have done very, very well with time blocking and actually holding myself to it. Some people are like, how do you time block? I was like, you literally just say from 8 to 10 AM, this is what I do. And you honor it. Because this is, it's one thing to time block. It's another to actually like do what you say you're going to do. Close the email down, turn off your phone, turn off notifications, like actually be in the work as opposed to just like putting it on the calendar. When you say you're going to go to the gym at 1230, do you actually go to the gym at 1230? (laughs) This is a thing like I get to work through at this point, just to be honest. So those are just my little nuggets because I think we want to like conquer the world quickly, but you're building a long-term business. So just take one bite at a time. Eating the
1: elephant, one bite at a time.
2: Exactly. (laughs) Rochelle, have you ever
0: sat down to just make a list of your entire... Kind of client workflow and all of the tasks that are required in your business, both client trip design related and also just business related to kind of identify, just to lay it all out there and say, this is what has to happen in my business. And then to take the next step and be able to identify, this is what's currently not working and needs to be
1: fixed. I did it with the workflow actually in the very beginning because when I was designing my fee structure, I really w- wanted to envision, you know, how many touch points there are. I don't know how long the list is 54 or something, sort of like from not even marketing. So that's not even part of it. So I've done that, but I've never done it with my business. And I would have to mm-hmm. say that's the most intimidating part of this intimidating just not knowing. And I'm such a knowing person, which is kind of a bad thing for someone who thinks that they know stuff and then they're offered that. And then it's kind of scary. So no, I've never done it with my business. I never even thought of it. But I think that's like the one big sticking point is the business part of it. Like, what would you recommend? I don't even know where to start. And I think that that is the overwhelm. Like, I just went to Atlanta for three days or four days to visit my family. And I wrote like a to-do list. I think there's 117 things on there, but now I got to like get them into like Mm -hmm. little like other lists. So how would you do that with a business? That sounds so silly, but I don't can't even envision that.
0: So I did this recently as I was, I'm bringing on a full-time assistant. And so I went through the exercise of how do I even begin to identify what I should give to this person first in terms of like, what is an appropriate task to say, welcome to my business. Can you do this please? And that it's not super complex and overwhelming, but also simultaneously finding the task that was going to provide the greatest ROI for me right up front. It was going to feel like a weight off my chest. So I know that you have people helping you behind the scenes here and there, helping you with different tasks. But I think that for me personally, if I don't put things down on paper where I can see it, if it's all just this constant running list of things that needs to happen and I need to do, I can't sort it out and I start to feel very overwhelmed. And what I have found, just like you said with the terms and conditions, when you actually sat down and did it, it took two hours which really isn't that bad. And when I actually sat down and made the list of just start to finish, this is what has to happen with a client. This is what has to happen in my business. The list felt less overwhelming because I was like, oh, it's not actually an elephant. It's a task, but it's not an iceberg that it feels like when it's just in your brain. And so I wrote down my client workflow, but then I started thinking about what if an assistant has to do this? So there are little tiny details that we never put inside of our TravelJoy workflow. For example, a new inquiry comes in and we maybe we send them a link to our calendar. But we also start preparing an invoice for them to pay. We update that invoice with the name of the trip and with the dates that they're going to travel. We update the terms and conditions to our booking policy. Then we go create a new folder on our Google Drive or in our box or in our computer. And then we create a proposal folder and a confirmations folder. And then we start a new Travify proposal. Like there's all these teeny, teeny, tiny little steps that we don't put that in our travel joy because it's in our head. And then I realized if I want an assistant to do this for me, it can't just be in my head. It has to be on paper. And so I started writing down every single little bullet point, And I went all the way through my client workflow. Then I started my task, my business stuff. I have to put in commissions. I have to reconcile commissions. I have to go through my credit card statement each month and identify expenses and make sure everything looks great. I have to send client gifts, send thank you cards. I need to update QuickBooks, just all sorts of stuff like this. And A, it felt less overwhelming once it was on paper. And B, I started highlighting it. What are the tasks that I have to do? What are the tasks that I can hand off to an assistant immediately? Tomorrow, someone can do this for me. And what are the tasks that an assistant can start doing for me in the next 30 to 45 days? And suddenly, I felt like I had a plan. And so the hierarchy was automatically created by going through this exercise.
1: Yeah, I think you talked about that when we talked a couple of weeks ago, when we talked a week ago, just how, I guess, freeing mm-hmm, it felt. It did. Finally do that and get clarity mm-hmm. on it. And I don't want to be in, what did, Kareen? what did you say? What did you call it? I'm a plan-castinator or whatever it what was. That word? You're
3: procrastinating. planning. <laughs> procrasti- you're moving things from list to list. You're rearranging right. them into new lists. I would really like to bring what these two said together for you because Whitney's not a time blocker. But so she may not agree with this, but I have a million dollars of travel on the books and I'm running travel biz boss. So I'm doing travel joy setups and I'm doing one-on-one. I'm running two businesses and both of them are cranking. You know what I'm saying? I have found that I could spend two hours in my travel inbox or I could spend all day in there and do the same amount of work. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm just sort of like hopping around from thing to thing. So what I have to do is I have to block out certain times of my day for creating content for working with my travel biz boss clients for working with my travel clients and I think really you don't need to necessarily start by blocking out your entire schedule but you do need to block out chunks of time in your week that are only for your systems. So let's say step 1 is let's block out 2 hours on Friday And all you're going to do is work on making this list that Whitney's talking about. You're going to turn off your email notifications. You're going to get your phone away from you. And you're going to give yourself the gift of two hours. It does not mean that you are not going to get all the other stuff done. It means you're going to be more... like you're not neglecting clients
0: for two hours. Like they'll be fine. Exactly.
3: Right. So you can start by blocking out two hours to start with. That's your first bite. And all you're working on is making this list and then make your next appointment with yourself for two hours. So you don't have to sit down right now and procrastinate plan by creating your ideal schedule with all of your time. blocks. Let's just make that first appointment with yourself. That is specifically for this knowing full well that you can take two hours to focus on this and you're still going to get to all your client stuff. So the way that I do it is I don't allow myself to look at anything else during those blocks. And I'm super focused. So I'm charging through step. But if I just leave that travel email box open all day long, I'm never out of it. And I'm not accomplishing more. I'm just scattered. So don't feel like you have to come up with this elaborate schedule. Don't feel like you have to start implementing time blocking on a whole. Start with a baby step. Give yourself some time that you're dedicating to just get the process started.
1: Right? Yeah. And I do that, actually. I, I do turn my email off. I don't have reminders and I do turn my phone off. So when I turn my phone back on, you're like, oh God, look at all the messages. So I do that, but it is more the organization part of it. And where do you start? Like the foundation. And I think that I can't, I can't, I mean, I've got to do that list, I think, Whitney, to really yes. figure out. So it's going to be sort of top down.
0: Well, to identify the hierarchy, it's a combination of making the list to A, even see what needs to happen. Because right now it feels overwhelming because everything's just swimming around in your brain. But if you list it all out, I think it will start to become pretty clear, oh, this part of this list would really lift a huge weight off my shoulders or really free up a lot of brain space. If it doesn't seem clear after you make that list, then it's just a matter of one at a time, start at the foundation, identify the bottlenecks. Where are the bottlenecks in your business right now? Where are you getting stuck and not being able to respond to clients quick enough? Or where are you getting stuck and not being able to respond to the host agency quick enough with your commissions, for example? Find the bottlenecks. So if the hierarchy doesn't present itself naturally, look for the bottlenecks, and that's a great place to start. Because when that bottleneck releases, everything else starts to flow.
1: Or I could go to Canyon Ranch for a week.
3: You could also do that. (laughs) And maybe that's your reward, you know, through this list. Yeah. But, you know, the other thing, too, is it's not just identifying the things that you might be able to delegate. Whitney and I are always saying automate or delegate. So there are some like if you start making that list and workflow should be your top priority so that you can streamline what you're doing for clients, figure out where you can automate, where you can delegate. But that's what starts creating more time is when you figure out how to like get an email template in place that saves you two minutes here, two minutes there. It adds up huge it's just huge your workflow should be your top priority in terms of hierarchy and then that's going to start to dictate the rest of the hierarchy
0: so michelle make a list block some time turn off all distractions two hours at a time you're going to tackle this
1: yeah well i already put it on my calendar good
0: for Friday. That's fantastic.
3: That's my girl. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime you see any of my travel biz boss posts, I always say, put it on your calendar in all gaps. Yes. Because people don't, I'm like, I'm serious. Put it on the calendar because you can't just say, Oh, sometime on Friday, I'll just stop. And yeah.
1: And I did reach out to Taylor's assistant good. just to get Go on ahead. the wait list. Good. I'm not in a place to do that, but at least my name is That's in there. A good so step. okay, I, I went over I went over time. Emily, it was nice to meet you.
0: We love you. Okay, we're gonna shift over to Danielle. Are you here with us, Danielle? Yes, can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you. If you are ready, we are gonna dive right in. Can you introduce to us your question just a little bit? And then Emily and Karine are here with me and we'll work through it together.
4: Yes, if I don't remember exactly how I worded it, but my question is pertaining to travel documents. Okay, so I wanna come across as professional and right now I'm doing the Travelfy itineraries and I'm giving my clients their link that they can have access to at any time with the app and then also sending them a PDF printable version. Some of them don't want it, but I always ask if they would like a printed copy. But then to me, that kind of feels... I don't know. It doesn't feel as professional. Like they want a printed copy. I feel like I want to print it off for them and send it in a pretty folder with it presented really nicely. I just don't know what everyone else is doing. And if my question makes sense,
0: it definitely makes sense. Emily, how do you work with your clients in terms of client experience and the deliverable of a service? Because we are, we're working with service, but what she's talking about is is the actual product of all of our work. It's the itinerary, right? And many of us are presenting it just in an app, which means that there's nothing printed, there's nothing sent in the mail, but in the app, it looks beautiful and it's organized. But then she's asking about, you know, some other advisors are printing it and sending it in a branded box along with a little gift and a handwritten note. And it becomes more of a physical touch point.
2: Oh, it's like, what is worth it? On the journey, like what is going to be like, oh my gosh, that absolutely delights them. They are wowed. If it's part of your process to just make that digital, but then you send a you know, week before trip some sort of gift to get them excited or post-trip, what's going to be one of the most meaningful? I always like I call it like this surprise and delight moment your client experiences, just because there is, you know, if you're going through your client process and you're like, well, this client wants it printed, but this client wants it digital, but client wants both. It's like, how do you just, is this an area where you can be like, we just do digital for this. And this is part of the process. I'm imagining most of your clients can just hit the export button to PDF. So it's, is it worth the time to put like a box together? Maybe it's a very high ticket client or someone who spends above X amount of dollars. You always do that for them. It's almost just like finding ways to systematize that process, but then know like where the small moments you can turn that key to be like, oh my gosh, just surprise them and be like, wow, like I love working with you. That's my feedback.
0: <laughs> Karine, what are your thoughts on delivering paper
3: itineraries? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. Honestly, it really just depends on your clientele. I mean, I'm straight at if someone was like i really love paper and i need a paper copy of course i would make it happen i think that depending on the age of your clients i don't know it's like if you have a bunch of pinterest moms then yes they probably would love like a really delightful paper box you know something they could unbox and but i don't think it's necessary to your ability to deliver an excellent client experience so like emily said i definitely will send a gift from time to time and it's thoughtful it's not expensive like if you're going to England I might do a pub cookbook and some tea like something to just it has no branding no nothing it's just thoughtful and relevant and again for that surprise and delight but really only you can decide what is going to surprise and delight your clients. sure and I hope it's not paper (laughs) (laughs)
4: <laughs> <laughs> but
3: totally. if it is. If it is. Then you. Then that. That's what you go hard on it. You know what I mean? If that's what yeah. it
4: is. Well, I just. I'm doing that as far as like everyone. As soon as they send me a new client inquiry and I have their address, you know they fill out their first client form. I send everyone a handwritten thank you note just for reaching out. Thank you for your willingness to support my small business, whatever. It's a very personalized handwritten thank you note that automatically goes out to everyone. And then I'm usually, once their booking is secured, I'm usually sending them some kind of thank you. Sometimes that's, you know, like a custom cookie that I have, a gal who I work with that I send them. And sometimes it's a post-trip gift. So I feel like that surprise and delight is in there. I just feel like I'm having a hard time gauging. I don't know. I'm all about efficiency. And I feel like I spend so, so much time getting this beautiful itinerary put together with all these clickable things that make me so happy. Within Travelify, that I feel like, you know, just levels up their. I mean, everything is literally at their fingertips, which I feel like they really love. And then people are like, you know, are you, are you sending me Travel documents, or you know, like, and then it makes me second guess myself. Oh, okay, should I be? I I have everything that you would possibly need here. So I send them a PDF, and they seem very happy with that. And everybody, there's only been a handful, and I feel like sometimes it's older clients, and that makes sense to me because they're used to paper in hand. So that just made me question my process. I guess, then, should I be? Is that what everyone else is doing? Are they doing both? Are they doing either or? So, anyway.
3: Well, I feel like it's up to you to decide if you want to do it And one way. Get ahead of it. Tell them during the onboarding process that you deliver e-documents. Like if you don't want, you know, and then if somebody's like, I really like paper, you could make an exception, of course. But instead of waiting until the last minute, just get ahead of it and let them know your documents are going to be delivered in this amazing app and you're going to be able to, you know, like Mm -hmm. make it. Yes. Sound awesome and do it at the beginning yes. and then where there's no disappointment
0: possible. I 100% agree with Kareem. And that's what I was going to say is anytime we receive a question from clients of like, is this included or are we going to have this or are you going to arrange that? It's usually because we haven't as professionals addressed that point for them. And most often, if we are able to be proactive and either... If we talk about our process on our website or during the welcome, kind of a discovery call, or if we send a welcome document, like however we onboard that new client, explaining what their final itinerary is going to look like, when they're going to receive it, how they're going to receive it, if we proactively share all of that. And on my website, I even include a link to here's what my itinerary looked like. So you can click on it and actually see, oh, wow, this is actually really cool. And, you know, in your iPhone where you can just film your screen, I've even created videos to kind of show the app experience because that's also different than seeing a Travify or an Access itinerary on desktop. And so they can see. So sometimes people want travel documents because they can't visualize what an app is going to look like and how on earth that's going to be useful. And some people who are not traveling on a regular basis still believe that you need paper confirmations for everything. Like that when you arrive at a hotel, they're not going to let you check in if you don't have a paper confirmation and actually they could care less about the paper confirmation. So I- of your travelers
3: check. Yeah, (laughs)
0: Yeah, so I think it's a little (laughs) bit of being proactive. I think it's a little bit of like explaining your process in multiple ways on your website, in the discovery call, in the welcome document, however you do that. And then like Kareen said, for those people who understand completely how you deliver itineraries and they just really love that PDF, let them know that they can download that PDF. And I always tell clients, here's the app you can download to use. You can generate a PDF if you want to share it with friends and family. I love that. Yeah, And also you're the professional here. So at the beginning of your question, it sounded a little bit like, well, some clients want this and some clients want this. And I'm trying to you didn't say I'm trying to make everyone happy but that's the vibe that I got from you describing your question and I the first thing I thought to myself is you're the business owner you make the decision you lead the way you let clients know what your process is and how you deliver itineraries and it's up to them to decide to engage with your business. Emily just out of curiosity how do you feel about me saying that like you're the business owner it's not up to trying to make everyone happy like you kind of just have to decide what you're going to do, what you're not going to do. And then you can be flexible, of course, but we're not trying to be all things for everyone.
2: I think in the beginning, you do a little bit of everything because you don't know any different unless you're like in an amazing program like this, but some people like they, you don't know what you don't know. So you're just kind of throwing things on the wall and seeing what sticks. And then I think you have an opportunity to step into leadership. I mean, you can from the beginning, but like I think about myself when I first started freelancing and working with clients, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was like, maybe I'll do a little this and I'll do a little of this because maybe I like this, but maybe I don't like this. And then over time, I think you really get to develop the muscle of having boundaries and saying, no, this is the process. Mm-hmm. This is how we work together. And this is what it looks like. And you lead the dance. Mm-hmm. You walk your customer client through the journey. And it is so empowering to them when you just tell them how it is yes. versus like, well, what do you want? You're the expert. Mm-hmm. You tell me what I need. Mm-hmm. I think it just takes time and confidence that you build and it doesn't happen overnight. So it's like, try it with a new client and see if you can lead the dance differently. Yes. And then you just develop that muscle. I don't know how long everyone's been doing this, but I, I, I do think it takes time. It's
0: definitely a muscle that has to be built. And I guess when I look back at my journey in first getting started, I'm always trying to think like, okay, you can't just start on day one with this big beefy muscle of like, I am the leader of this business follow this way. But also if somebody would have just said, you're the business owner, decide what you want the process to be. And it's up to you to proactively tell the client that even though my muscle would have been weak, like I feel like there would have been the beginnings of a muscle Whereas for me, I felt like for two years, there was just no muscle. There was just nothing being strengthened. It was just me flailing about.
3: (laughs) And I think too, is specifically in the business we are in, people are looking to reduce decision fatigue. They're looking for guidance. They want you to eliminate overwhelm. So they are happy to just follow exactly what you say. That's what they came to you for. So particularly what we do is conducive to that. Yes.
0: Yes, exactly. I think we are going to move on. Lori, do you want to hop in here
5: first? I will. Also, I know I mentioned it to Whitney, but Emily, the episode of way back, I've I've listened to them all of the podcast that you were on. I took away some real nuggets and have done some of the things that were suggested on that podcast. So thank you. In fact, just like right here beside my desk, I've got my little every week I try to send two thank you cards to a client just out of the blue. So I just wanted to let you know, like, it's really fantastic, the podcast and how much many takeaways I've had from it. So.
2: Oh, good. Thank you
5: for that feedback. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. My question is, I feel like I do all of the things got the systems. I've got, you know, I try to have really high level of service with my clients. I do a lot. I try to do all of those things. I've got a lot of years of experience. What is the number one thing? And I have a few suggestions that maybe would help you guys with what I'm looking for way to move the financial needle. I feel like sometimes all the hard work and I sometimes look at that end product at the end of the year and go, I didn't make the money I thought I would make. I don't know. I look at a comparable job, sort of maybe real estate or some other kind of service role like that, and they're making a completely different level of commission, of course, than we are. So what would, from the experts, be some ways that you have found moves the financial needle? Is it being in destination more? Is it marketing to a specific clientele? And really like investing in that. Is it increasing the level of service to the clients that you have? Or is there, and maybe this is not, maybe it's different for everybody, but is it the volume? Is it working on, okay, I'm going to try to increase the dollar per trip. What might be the one area when you've got all of these options that if that's what you really want to see more of at the end, what could I do to do that? I'm so happy you're going to be in the
3: Goldsberg show. Uh,
5: (laughs) (laughs) Is that it? Is it tracking? Is that it? Is it saying, if you want this, then you have to track to get that? Like, what am I missing to move that piece?
3: But there's no simple answer to that, Lori, because it depends on what you want. <laughs> I know, but it depends on what your focus is, right? So like I crank out cruises like hotcakes, right? So for me, and cruises don't necessarily have a really high commission attached. So for me, the answer is volume. Okay. If you're focused on luxury, then you gotta be much more focused on pouring into your existing clientele. You've got to only talk about those types of destinations. You got to be like super hyper focused on pushing for the higher dollar trips. So there, you're not going to have the time for higher volume. We're focusing on quality over quantity, right? It all comes down to the type of travel you're trying to sell, whether you should be reaching for more bookings or fewer high dollar bookings. Does that make
5: sense? Absolutely. And I would say of all of the things that I feel like I know, the one thing where I get noise in my head is who am I really selling to and who is my ideal client? That's probably my most, you know, and I work on it and still I land with like, I like all the people. I like all the trips. And yet I also know that is not doing me any favors. So probably the area where I need to put some real like thought and focus.
3: And it's okay to sell all the things but we keep repeating this saying, who, I don't know who said it. If you're speaking to everyone, you're speaking to no one. So you got to get focused on who you're talking to. You can sell all the things, you can sell all the people, but who are you focused on? What are you trying to draw more of to you? And that's why, you, you know, if you're talking to all the people and talking about all the things, then you don't have a focus and you don't even know what you're reaching for.
0: No, so how that, can you
3: get there? Right. right.
0: Emily, how do you... When you see small business owners who are doing all the things, head down, focused, full-time, just grinding away, striving for those goals. But yet at the end of the year, it's still not hitting quite what they were expecting or quite what they were hoping for. What do you look for?
2: I have seen such a direct correlation to even my own companies, like the amount of focus on audience or product. And I you know, as a multi-passionate for me, it's like, I'm not going to tell myself to niche, but my company's niche. And what I talk about from a form of like product for this type of person, like to me, your ideal customer, like the back of your hand, and you speak directly to that person what they need right now in this moment, your book of business, just, it will take a little bit of time if your audience is a little scattered and you're, you got to weed out the people, but in the near future, and certainly in the long run, if you are known as the luxury travel advisor in your community or beyond, that will pay off way more than, oh, you'll book a trip anywhere and do anything for anyone. It's just that level of focus, I will tell you, is like a multi-passion is very hard. But when I've seen my clients do it, when I've watched peers do it, when I've seen like, even my own company, I, when the company I have that's just an, a local influencer marketing product, that the inbound leads that come in just because it's one isolated service versus my like more robust digital marketing service agency, Mm -hmm. it is mind blowing to me because I'm like, it's just one small product, you know, like one small service versus like I can customize anything for you. But people like if you can answer one pain point for one person again and again, I just I don't know what y'all think about that, but I that has just been what I've seen over and over the years, like last decade in business, certainly.
0: Laurie, I just told Emily last week, I know her two major businesses very intimately, both as a, let's say, quote unquote, spectator. I know her businesses as a participant. And I know her business as her being my close friends. And Hummingbirds, the first one, like she said, it's the one that is super focused. It's super niche. I know exactly what it is. If somebody came to me and said, this is what I'm looking for. I would say, call Emily or don't call Emily. Like "Uh, Emily kind of does what you're looking for, but not exactly. So I would be as a a person in the Des Moines area, I would be able to like direct them to or away from Emily. I told her last week that her second business, I don't get it. Mm, And it's technically for someone like for people like us. And I said, it doesn't speak to me. I don't get it. And I know the business inside and out intimately. But as she just shared with us, that second business is not as niche, it's not as focused and the messaging is not as clear. Therefore, the vagueness for me, a very close friend and a business owner who is her ideal client, I'm like, I don't really get it. So I'm not going to
5: engage. Yeah, right. Who who would you even be referring to her if you're not crystal clear on what exactly. that is? Exactly.
2: Exactly. Okay. Thankfully, we had some wine, so I like handled it really well, but it was so good to get that feedback. Yeah. I mean, God bless the friends that'll say those things, oh,
4: right?
2: Yes. yes. Yeah. And just to look at it and be like, is does this speak to the person I want to fill out my contact form, buy my product, whatever it is. And, yeah. you know, I fall on like that brand, Love Local, like falls in the bucket of, I want to support local business owners. That is way too effing broad. And for me, it honestly is like sitting pulling back and saying, okay, where do I want to focus? And I'm giving myself time and space to actually like sift through that instead of like, urgently finding an answer because there's still business and people still buy things. Right. But we have the opportunity to be reflective upon like what the data and what, you know, business shows us. And then we can make a change. Just being like a scientist, have a hypothesis. If I change the copy here, my assumption is that X will happen. If it doesn't happen, change it again. Like we don't have to be, you know, so attached or emotional about it, but just allow yourself to be in that mode of testing, tweaking, and really leaning a little bit closer to where you want to be. So. More really applicable, Lori, I know that
0: Ireland is a top focus for you, and I believe that you're planning to be in Ireland soon. Is it a personal trip or a fam, either or? Fam. In this kind of testing thing that Emily is talking about, whenever that fam is, I would come 30 days before, and I would go 45 days after, and I would social media, newsletter, website, Instagram stories, personal conversations, going out to coffee with friends whatever it makes you feel most comfortable in how you share your message. It better only be about Ireland and see what happens, ha- see what happens
4: mm-hmm. uh,
5: treat
0: it as like Emily just said, like a hypothesis, like a scientist, like, let's just see what happens. If I only talk about Ireland for the 30 days leading up to my trip and the 45 days afterwards, let's just see what happens. And if something happens that's, that's good, Fantastic. And if it doesn't quite work, then analyze, go introspectively and think what could I tweak? I don't need to just throw the whole thing out in the garbage, right? Not everything is bad about what I tried, but what could I tweak and try again? My question for you is Have you identified the specific number or the specific amount that you would like to make in a year? You said the numbers are not hitting what you thought it would be or what you thought it would be. <laughs> It's a long it's big, pause. It's
5: big. I'm waiting for January 4th to do that. That's okay. okay. That's okay. That's then we have our class and that's okay. No, I do. It's a and I need to really have, I also think there's to some extent the sales, maybe you can't always control what comes in, but I can control the service. I can control the systems. I can control some of those things. And so it's like, okay, well, I want, how do I control the thing that I can't control? Well, I can really finesse the marketing, the messaging, and the people I'm speaking to and define what that number is that would make me feel good at the end.
0: So there's, there's two parts of it, right? We know who we want to work with. That's the destinations, the type of client, their style of travel. But then we also have the business financial part of it. We are running a business. You do not work all day, every day nights and weekends uh-huh. for a hobby. This is a business, right? So the reason that you need the end goal number, and I'm not talking about stretch goals. I'm talking about what would serve my family? What would make me right. feel good at the end of the year and say, yeah, I worked really hard all year and I feel good about it, right? Pick a number that feels realistic. Let's, this isn't about stretch goals right now. That's a different exercise. Then we have to bring those two together. Let's say your ideal amount that you pay yourself is $50,000. And my ideal client, hypothetically, is a family with kids who are similar ages as mine, who want to travel to Ireland and who want to explore the UK. How much, if you designed the perfect trip for that family that kind of reflects your own family to Ireland, how much does that trip cost? Is it a $5,000 trip, a $10,000 trip, a $20,000 trip? You have to decide. Let's say it's a $10,000 trip. Average commission on a $10,000 trip is $1,000. How many $1,000 commissions of sending families to Ireland do you need to meet that goal, that income goal? The answer is, I mean, if we add in a fee, which I know you're charging for your Ireland trip designs, okay? So let's say, <laughs> um, let's say that there's a $1,000 commission and you're charging a $300 fee, let's say hypothetically, $50,000. You're going to keep about 50% of that after taxes and after business expenses and et cetera, et cetera. So I'm going to I'm gonna give you 60% of it just, just to be, let's see. We need to earn 65 so that you can take home between 40 and 50. you see what I'm trying to do? We need to earn more because you're not bringing all of it home. Some of it's going right. to business expenses. Some of it's going to taxes. Okay. So we want to bring in $65,000 divided by $1,300 per trip between fees and commissions. That's 50 trips. 50 trips divided by 12 months is 4.5. We're going to round up so that we're working well with our numbers. You need four and a half, $10,000 trips to Ireland every month. That's the path that will take you to meet your goals. And if you're not getting four and a half, $10,000 Ireland inquiries per month, then that's what we have to figure out. Do I need to go to Ireland more often? Do I need to talk about Ireland more? Do I need to share my client testimonials who just got back from Ireland? Do I need to ask my clients to tag me on Instagram or Facebook so that then I can share all their amazing photos? Do I need to reach out and ask for referrals from the clients who just got home from Ireland and say, hey, if you know anyone else who wants to go, I'd love to work with them. But if we don't know our numbers, if we don't even know what we're working toward, and if we don't even know what can get us there, then it's going to be really hard to meet those goals. And it's also going to be really hard to say no to the $5,000 inquiries that come in. Mm, If somebody reaches out and they want a trip to Ireland, that's $5,000. That means you have to plan a hundred. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so now do you feel more comfortable saying, hey, listen, I really work with this level of provider, these level of hotels. This is my area of expertise. This is what I know best. I don't feel that this is a, you got to find the best way to say like, here's some tips. Here's a few links. Here's my favorite self-driving route. Here's a few of my favorite restaurants. Have an amazing trip or refer it on to someone you know who would love to plan a $5,000 trip to Ireland.
3: Mm -hmm. Okay. Can I add a little something? I do want you to, obviously, we're going to be focusing on 2022 goals. I want you to be looking at what's feasible to shoot for in 2022. I also usually ask my team to consider what is the number It doesn't have to be realistic for the next five years. But what is that ultimate number that when I hit that number, I'm going to be like, I did it. I did what I set out to do. I have crushed this. You obviously can't go from zero to a hundred like this, but I want you to have that number written somewhere or in your head. So you always know every year as you're doing your goals, how much closer can I get to that number this year? You know, like that needs to be in the back of your head somewhere. I know a lot of people are like, I want to make six figures. They want to hit that $100,000 goal. And I get that, but that isn't for everybody. Some people it's like, I want to make $40,000 and have time with my kids. And you know what I mean? So like only, you know what that number is and it doesn't matter how anyone else feels about it, but whatever that is, I want that in the back of your head somewhere. So that year on year, you're striving to inch closer and closer to that goal. That's your dream right? That doesn't have to be achievable or reasonable right now, but I want you constantly thinking, okay, let's get closer and closer to that as well. That's what I want. If that's
5: what you want, (laughs) that's usually, (laughs) usually something I like people to have. Yeah. It's a lot of food for thought and a lot of like actionable steps I can take, which I really appreciate. So thank you for letting me pop in today. Of course. Thank you, Lori. Sasha, do you still have a question for us?
6: I actually had just a, it was a comment on Danielle's question, Mm -hmm. some good advice that I had gotten when I started out the, I I go back and forth. It was a good question. I go back and forth too, with the sending something paper, nice. I do the, I try to do, if I do it paper, like print it out, put it into sections, dividers, bind it. And one of the pieces of advice was what is the nature of the trip? Especially say a honeymoon, always put together, print it out Bound beautiful itinerary and get it to them before the wedding because they're going to be at events with the parents and the people who have probably a larger budget for travel and they're going to be excited about their honeymoon and their showing. So, in a sense, it's an advertising piece for you as well. So, I thought that was good advice is what is this a trip they're going to be sharing with other people and then that's basically has your name your contact information and people I think still often don't know travel advisors are out here and what we do Mm -hmm. so that was just that's really
0: interesting I like that's an interesting approach that I haven't heard before
3: well the same goes for digital I tell people all the time make your proposal shareable so that your clients are working for you because they'll just put it right on social media look where I'm going Mm -hmm. you know so Uh, It goes for both, but I like that idea of, you know, the bride's got her little book there (laughs) in the bridal suite. All the bridesmaids are Mm -hmm. flipping through it.
0: Yep. I have recently had a client so excited about my proposal. So I know that not everyone puts proposals in the itinerary builders. They just do it like right before the trip as like the final documents. I actually build my proposals in the itinerary builder. So A, I'm already like working toward the final itinerary little by little instead of it feeling like a big chunk of time and effort. B, the client is getting used to seeing that. So they're kind of like getting familiar with a new system. And if it's a repeat trip then they know exactly what to expect from me because I'm always using like a very consistent organization style. And C, because they can share it so easily because it looks beautiful. I've had recently, I've had clients just take the link and send it on. And somebody decided to join their trip, which was not a part of the original inquiry. And I've had a client take like a screen share of her iPhone going through the the trip, posted it on Instagram and got two new clients because she posted it and tagged me of the proposal. So it's also just like similar in like getting the itinerary in their hands in a beautiful shareable format, whether that is printed out or digital. Do what works best for you and your clients, but make sure that it is beautiful, it is organized, and it is shareable. Kate, do you have a question for us?
7: I do. And I think you probably know what it's about because it's something I was going to call you about later today. Let's do it. I thought I might as well just ask. Yeah, let's do it. So I had a call last week with someone who's the first person who's like looking to get into the industry that I was interested enough in them to consider offering them a role as an IC. But... I want to make sure that I'm going about that the right way and that I'm asking the right questions. So I want to know what questions you would ask and Corinne, I want to know what questions you would ask so that I am not setting myself up for failure here. Go.
3: (laughs) Corinne. I can tell you right off the bat. My first question is about their personal network. Does your network travel? Do they have the money to spend on the type of travel you want to sell? Because if not, it's almost never going to work and it is, and if it does work, it's going to take an immense amount of work to get there. So it's usually pretty easy to rule people out as a good candidate. If They're like, oh, well, yeah, like all my friends are hippie granolas. They don't go anywhere except in the woods or, you know, whatever. Like, And also finding out, obviously, what type... To, I don't know if you already talked about what type of travel they're interested in selling.
7: Yeah, she's interested in selling FIT, so that's great. She's currently based in Barcelona, so that's great. She was a cardiac ICU nurse, and COVID burned her out, so she and her husband moved to Barcelona last year.
3: I love this. Also, that's a helper personality right off the bat. That's a person who's in help.
7: And someone who's not, I think, may not be as prone to that employee-entrepreneur mindset problem because... As a nurse, like people got to do what you say. Like you're not such a pleaser all the, day, you know. Yeah. Or at least at the very least, you're used to like telling people they can't have what they want that they have to do something else. So I did like that. She did say like, well, you know, I don't know that I have anybody who can like spend a lot of money on travel. Like she very much is in the point of like, well, I pick the hotel and then I pick this and then I do that and it was like, okay, you know, let's talk, we can talk about process and all that later. But I sort of feel like for luxury travel, like even if you don't know someone who is a luxury traveler, you're one or two degrees away. It's harder, but like you can get there. It's just a harder ramp up to get to that point. I think.
3: It is. But also in some cases, there's just no hope for the network. You know what I mean? So you have to know like is there hope there where you're going to be reaching other people? Personally, I'd rather not sell to my immediate network. I I'm want to sell to their mm-hmm. the people. they exactly. mm-hmm. yeah Because <laughs> they treat me more like a professional. But yeah, that's my main okay. question usually.
7: Okay. She did say that she was comfortable charging a fee right off the bat. And she has done a couple trips for friends. And I was like, okay, let's talk through like this trip to Barcelona and Giorno that you set up for some friends. Let's talk through how much of that is commissionable. Oh, it was $3,000. Okay. Let's assume a 10% commission. You've made $300. How does that feel? And she was like, shitty. So yep, I think she's coachable mm-hmm. at least, which is what made me think like, oh, maybe this would be a good person to bring on as like a first person. Because I'm also not looking to like immediately just expand my sales with this person. i more just want sure. to kind of figure out like how to do this and do it mm-hmm. well.
0: So I also ask about personal network, but I it's not like a make or break question for me personally. I guess I'm I'm always like rooting for the underdog. I'm like one of those people. So I guess if someone says I have the personal network, great. Moving on to the next topic. If they don't have the personal network, then my conversation with them becomes very intense on How willing are you to go find the network? Yeah. That means you are going to have to step out of your comfort zone on a very regular basis for probably the first two or three years of your business, going to networking events, feeling like a walking billboard, even if you're not really, you know, like it's, do you have it? And if you don't, are you willing to find it? Because I do believe that it exists, Mm -hmm. right? Then I also ask how they generally travel to get a sense of what I'm working with and their personal preferences. And I always ask about their previous work experiences. So like, you know, that she was a nurse, I think you said, and I have found that some previous work experiences translate super, super well into being a travel advisor in the way that it is so detail oriented. So, so, Mm -hmm. so detailed. Not everyone is naturally super detailed. And even if you might eventually hand off some of those very detailed tasks that you don't enjoy, you have to do it at the beginning. And when details fall through the cracks, our client experience is gone, right? Like that is what we Mm -hmm. do. And it's also a very human to human based relationship type of business. And so I'm always talking, mm-hmm. to, n- not necessarily saying these things outright, but asking questions and trying to understand. It looks super sexy to say that you're a travel advisor because we travel the world and we go to these cool places and we visit these fancy hotels, but at the core of what we do, it's super, super, super detailed and it's all about relationships. Are you going to succeed in that environment? Is kind of what I'm trying to uncover. Mm-hmm.
7: Okay, interesting. Because the other thing I could do, I mean, I asked her what her She's one of those people who just, you know, like DM'd me mm-hmm. in a social network and you know was like, hey, I'm thinking about getting into this. Her main question was, how do I get a host agency? And I was like, What do you mean? How do you get a host agency? You email them and say you want to do this. Yeah. And they say, give me your yeah. money. <laughs> and she said she had reached out to eight different host agencies and gotten either no response or the response was. We have too many applicants. We'll get back to you when we get back to you. Oh, did you ask her who she reached out to? I did. She didn't remember most of them. Okay. She said, she was like, well, I have, obviously I've it written down somewhere. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, the other thing I can do is just like direct her to someone that I know will take a new sure. advisor and just stay in touch. So one um, additional
0: question I ask, I ask a lot of questions. I can send you a list.
7: <laughs> that would be great. Actually. I also <laughs> ask about like, because you know, I'm going to put it, <laughs> the way that I'm going to put your relationship question is like, are you capable of forming relationships? <laughs> Like, let's like, sometimes Kate, it's
0: good to beat around the bush (laughs) and try to like find the answer to the question we're looking for without directly asking the question.
7: (laughs) I'm not capable of doing that. So yeah, I need to I also ask about their current financial situation. Okay. I did talk to her about that. So whatever her husband does, they're able to work. He's able to work remotely. And she was like, look, we've lived on his salary for a year. Okay. That's fine. Okay. So that's good. And I think
0: it's, it's, are you being currently financially supported by someone else? And is that sustainable for another while? But also it's the reality of, listen, you're going to work really hard for 12 months and not make a dime. Are we mentally prepared for that? You know, it's, it's both sides of the coin on that one. And then for anyone specifically reaching out about joining my team, I ask what their vision is for joining a team, like joining Undiscovered Sunsets, or wanting to establish their own brand and personal identity. I found that having people join representing Undiscovered Sunsets didn't feel like a good fit for me personally. And this is probably Mm -hmm. me and me in my head, but I started to feel like a boss or like a manager, but I wanted to feel like a mentor. And so it actually is, has worked really well for me to grow a team that doesn't represent undiscovered sunsets. They all have their own brands, they all have their own styles, mm-hmm. their own voices. And I get to just be in the mentorship role and like watch them flourish. And I love it. But I think you might wanna grow your brand and grow your team with everyone representing the same. And so that's a different role. Or you don't feel strongly about that?
7: I don't actually feel strongly about that. Like I'm going to continue to grow a team of employees, which is one okay. thing. And then I see it's something different. That doesn't need to be under my brand. Mm-hmm. I actually, I think, prefer for them to have their own
0: brand. Mm-hmm.
7: Cool. And prefer to have people who want to op- operate that autonomously. Yes. But just kind of don't know what they're doing or want whatever the other advantages are of being under my larger brand umbrella. Mm -hmm.
0: So that's another question to ask them because some people will come to you feeling very, very strongly about not wanting to build their own brand presence because it's a lot of extra marketing and website design and logos and colors and all this stuff that some people absolutely want that and others absolutely want nothing to do with it. And so it's good to know that up front because for a few on my team, we found kind of into the process a little bit and the transition was, you know, a distraction, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Okay. Emily, what are your thoughts on this, on having people... So our business model is Travel Advisors. We're a little bit unique. It's not like a typical local business that might hire employees. But we are have this position where you can kind of come in under us and either join our team and be supported by us or be in what we call... It's an independent contractor. So you're not an employee. Sometimes you represent our brand. Sometimes you don't. But the mat- the fact of the matter is is we're not necessarily looking to join our team all the time, but people approach us and ask about it. I mean, how do you guide business owners to really evaluate that situation and to decide whether or not it's a good fit?
2: Hmm. I feel like most applicable thing that happens with me is like interns. So like college students being like, oh my God, I love this. Can I work for you? And I maybe similarly, I'm like, I'm curious, right? Like, So I'm always wanting to talk to them and see like, do they need credit? How can, you know, can I pay them a stipend if I enjoy them? But I'm so led by personality. If you're coachable, if you have an energy that I feel like aligns with who I am, like I'm always kind of willing to give someone a try. And I'm always very communicative that I am a very hands-off leader and very like, you have to be a self-starter. Here's what we're trying to build here. Here's what I see you responsible for. Can you figure this out? If you can't, you will not thrive here. And I just want to be upfront with people, like with that person. But I've, most of the time, like I have found interns or, you know, your version of ICs that have really added tremendous value. And I ended up hiring one full time. And she's a rock star. As my employee. And she like literally is, I say this uh, in business, a lot of times uh, there's this talk about like a visionary and an integrator. And I am definitely visionary. Land build out whatever business plan I desire. And Callie is integrator. She just can see all of the pieces, all of the details, and can pull it all together to make it happen. And you got whatever you want, but it's just I have always aligned with that kind of phrasing. But that is what kind of the internship ended up blossoming into. And you know, she bought into the vision like of the company and what we get to build together. And Turned out to be really fruitful, but you never know. We don't take that risk on someone, but some, you know, Mm -hmm. we've all been in scenarios where we've hired the wrong people or so kind of that gut feeling. Mm
0: -hmm. Whitney, welcome. I'm so happy that you were able to hop in.
8: We are here to hear your question. Let's, let's talk about it. Okay. So I think the thing that's been floating around in my head, and I don't find myself being very good at articulating this information sometimes is question. One, I'd like to increase my sales number. And the other side of that is how to do that. I understand I could increase fees. I also understand it because for me, it's more about the amount of the dollar of the trip. So it's about what to say no to and what to say yes to maybe, or, and then I also know there's a marketing aspect of how to cultivate what you're looking to get but I guess I'd just love to hear you know, how you guys have done that and how you've increased your numbers. I, like I said, I'm not really even sure what I'm asking. That's just what's been floating around in my head.
0: How overwhelmed do you currently feel with client inquiries and, and with the number of clients that you're working on at, at one time? Do you feel like you're drowning? Do you feel like you, you're busy, but like you could, if a new inquiry landed in your inbox today and tomorrow, you would say yes to both?
8: I'm very at a stasis almost of where I have anything more might be too much for the time I'm giving. And also that I've been very protective about my time as well. I've got three kids and they have different things going on and I can't work 24 seven. That is going to play a part in in all my decisions as well. So I think, you know, one or two more trips could be possible. And then it also depends on kind of the... The national park trip that I just got asked for, which is fine, and I've done those, not my favorite, is harder, way harder than the two-week trip to England that I got asked for. So there's that and trying to siphon through what works and what doesn't work.
0: Did you say yes to both of those trips? Absolutely, I did.
8: And given the times when they came in, it worked. But this is where I start to try to figure out strategically what is the best... I don't mind saying no to things. And I think I have a pretty good gut about clients and who I might want to work with or not wanna work with. Or when someone says that in Costco and they want to talk to me, I'm kind of like, I'm not your gal. And then you get I know you get scared, you might not get more trips. I know I'm gonna get more trips. People are gonna call me. They are calling me.
3: <laughs> Whitney's literally my girl. She's on my team. So I'm actually gonna. Because she hears stuff from me all the time. I'm going to stay a little quiet in this and let her hear some other points of view. Well, I mean, you are in a
0: place that the average human... I'm not even going to say average travel advisor. like The average human is not in the same mindset as you are in the sense that you have no problem saying no. And you know that more business is going to come in if you do say no. So then I guess my question is... How are you identifying when to say no?
8: That's kind of where I'm at. Like I realized, especially like with the message I just got that said, I'm pricing Costco and you are, I thought, you know what? I think this could be a total waste of my time. And I'm not, I'm pretty sure I'm comfortable saying no to that. I haven't been specifically asked. And no, I have not said no to anything yet. I've given advice to things that weren't appropriate for me to plan, but that's kind of where I'm at in in the no. So
0: I think that we can start to consider different ways to evaluate the inquiries that come in. There are the red flag inquiries, which are like, I'm currently pricing Costco, can you beat them? Red flag, right? And you've done well with that. But also, I know that you want to be a generalist. I know that you want to plan a little bit of everything. But I'm sure that I could come up with a a good solid list of places and types of clients and destinations that really don't interest you. And I think the next exercise is to expand that list of things that really doesn't interest you that much. Instead of thinking about your business in 20 years and you wanting to travel the world and planning travel for all over the world for all different types of clients, consider the next 12 months. What types of travelers, what destinations really excite you and that would just make you do a little small business owner happy dance? When that inquiry lands in your inbox, what destination is that? What type of travel is that? What type of traveler is that? And what budget is that? And we want to start, instead of identifying the no's only, we also want to identify the hell yeses. We want everything on both ends of the spectrum. Because I think that if it's easy to do identify the hard passes, for me, like I really, really do... I will never plan a destination wedding. I did it once and it was awful, right? So that is a really easy no. And a really easy yes for me is a Southern or East African safari. But that is two very, very small components of our industry. And that leaves the whole globe and a whole lot of different types of travel in this middle zone of like this wishy-washy, well, it's not a hell yes, but it's not a hard no. So how do I feel today? Oh, I guess I'll take it. That's what keeps us in this mess of like busyness, busyness that we're not enjoying and wanting to increase our sales and we don't know how to do it. We need to get clear. We need to have more no thank yous and we need to have a few extra hell yeses. And when an inquiry lands in our inbox and they're all in that gray zone, we got to say no more often. We got to say no way more often in that gray zone because just like you said, more inquiries are going to come in when you say No. We need 75 to 80% of our yeses to
8: be in that hell yes zone. Yeah, That's a great way to put it because like, I don't mind a national park trip, but it depends on the client as well. If my clients, but I'm also not always going to know that either. So if my client is just like the one that's doing the national park trip, but I mean, I've hit it out of the park, but they're just not sure. So
0: yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think, I feel like this could even be articulated a little bit more clearly, but just this will get you started when to know when to say yes to those gray zones and when to say yeah. no to those gray zones. If if in a current month, like take it on a month to month basis or with every 10 inquiries that you've received, you know, track oh, yeah, inquiries. If you're using Trello, well, put colors on them. Give your hell yeses a color, give your
8: grays a color and give your noes a color. I definitely i am a huge numbers person. So I look at that stuff all the time. And that's why I'm here. Perfect track your inquiries. So
0: if there's one month that you have said yes to four hell yeses, and you are just loving life because you are planning travel that you absolutely love. And then one comes in at the end of the month and you're not feeling overwhelmed. You're not feeling stressed. And it's a gray one. It's kind of like, well, it's not a hard no, but it's not a hell yes. But like, I can take this on. Then take it. But if you are getting gray after gray, after gray, after gray, after gray, something's got to shift. Right, right. Either
3: you're not, you need to say no do more often. <laughs> do your pre-work. Do your pre-work. All of you are in the goal session. Do your pre-work. Yes. Or <laughs> if, and if you're not
0: getting enough of those hell yes inquiries, if you identify this is what I really want to do and those inquiries aren't coming in, then that's a question about your marketing. Then that's a question about your messaging. Then that's a question of where you're traveling each year and which fans you're attending or which events, your conferences you're going to. But if we don't know what our hell yeses are, what our hard passes are and what our gray zone is that we can't even track to like find out where we are in the spectrum.
8: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's all good. And then it, it is also integrated in the sense that how you manage your time is based on who you're saying yes to and what types of trips and then the marketing that gets pulled into that. I mean, it's it's almost overwhelming when you think about it like that, how dependent each section is on the other and then there's so mm-hmm. much in this that you don't know until you just do it. And
0: that and that is part of being a new business owner. And that and in when it comes to that, you have to give yeah. yourself some grace. There might be some things that you think is is a is a good yes, and then you do it, and you're like, actually, I don't need to ever do that again. And then it becomes a hard no. And yeah. that's okay. Emily, how do you guide business owners when it comes to really you know, having a lot of inquiries, getting to the point that you're, you're having enough inquiries that you're feeling overwhelmed. So it's not a, where are my clients kind of question. It's a, okay, I've got enough. How do I start working through when to say yes and when to say no? And how do you guide business owners on this?
2: I can really only speak from personal experience, right? Like I'm looking at, so I think our businesses align in that if someone were to come with me to me for digital marketing services, I need to qualify them. So it's, and maybe this is what y'all are chatting about in the chat with pre-work, but like, what is that original contact form? And is it being filled out in a way that helps me gather enough information? Because if someone's like, my budget's under a thousand, kind of like, oh, I know what kind of conversation this is going to be. And it's going to be a 15 minute call because that just isn't oftentimes worth my the time for my company. But if someone's willing, to, if someone's like 5,000 and up, I'm like, okay, this is a different type of conversation and the products they're looking for through the checkboxes, give me an idea of what conversation we're going to have. And I, you know, it's maybe different in the marketing world, but like I get on a call with every single person. I like to see how they're asking me questions are they talking over me? Are they assuming things that like, oh, you worked with someone else before and this is how they did it. Just so you know, this is how our process works. Is that going to work for you? Would you still like more info? I just, I wish I would have done this sooner, but like I get to choose who I like get to work with. And so do you. And so does everyone on this call. And so it's just kind of framing the right questions and qualifying them in a way that ensures you're doing your best. And like, let's be real. Like we've all had clients that were like awesome in the beginning and then something goes downhill and you're like, whoa, true colors are now really shining through. Like we're always going to get that. Like it's just going to happen in some way, shape or form, but we can still do as much as we can on the front end to protect ourselves and them from a relationship that just maybe shouldn't have existed. So hopefully that's some helpful insight.
0: And I would say, Whitney, everything that Emily is saying and like that, you know, that Corinne and I have like, we have very detailed forms. We have certain budget expectations for like what a trip really requires. And our yeses are going to look different than your yeses. So I think that it's really important to not compare yourself to someone who is 5, 10 plus years ahead of you, but just start where you are and say right now, today, these are my hard no's, these are my hell yeses, and these are in the gray zone. I've never done a lot of these. I think they'll be okay. Great. Reevaluate in six months. Reevaluate in 12 months. And the, the hard passes will grow. The hell yeses will probably get a little bit smaller. And there will be some that were previously in the gray zone that you're like, hmm, I did that now and I loved it more than I thought. Or I did that and I don't think I ever need to do that again. You don't need to start where we are. That is overwhelming. Start where you are right now and then continue to reevaluate. And it will just get honed in and honed in and honed in. And that's where you get to someone who's 10, 15 years in and saying, I'm no longer accepting new clients and I only plan tricks that look like X, Y, and Z, right? That's a progression that happens over many years with lots of
8: experience.
0: I was going to add one more thing, like in terms of increasing your sales numbers, there's like the client side of things and the business that you're accepting. And on the business side of things, identify your bottlenecks. Right. What currently is happening in your business right now that is slowing you down from getting proposals out, getting confirmations back from clients, getting deposit authorizations, putting on those payments and sending clients on their vacation? What are the bottlenecks that are slowing down that all-important process that brings money in? COVID? I'm sorry. And if you can... (laughs) No, we got to think about things that we're in control like, of. <laughs> that's the only thing right now. Um, no, I'm, kidding, I'm kidding. Lots of
8: 2022.
0: It, I mean, it, yeah, it could be that, cli- that you actually, I don't know what's happening. I'm just speaking hypothetically. It could be that a client comes in and you don't actually send them a link to schedule a call until 24 hours later. What if it happened two hours later? It could be that once you have the discovery call with a client, you don't send the follow-up email with the invoice until 48 hours later. What if it's mm-hmm. four hours later? It could be after you're, when you're planning the proposal, do you tell them you'll send it to them in seven to 10 days or in two to three days? And then do you actually stick to your word and send it? And then three or four days after you send it, do you follow up or do you wait two weeks to follow up? There are all of these little things that that time adds up. And if a trip goes from taking six weeks from open to deposited, and you can trim it down to even four or five. That will enable you to close more sales by the end of the year, and that increases your sales numbers.
8: No, that's that's smart. That's all good. Absolutely. I'm
0: so glad you were able to hop in.
8: I am. So, sir, and if anybody wants to get FunJet to pull a call for me, if you have advice for that, just let me know. I'll, I'll, I'll be bothering you <laughs> later. Sorry.
1: Rochelle, your hand is raised. Are you all good over there? I have a little question. I'll put my video on. And this comes up as a follow-up to Whitney. And I was thinking about this a lot last night. Is... I have a lot of legacy clients. I have a unique challenge in that you, you work so long and so hard to manifest these relationships and everyone is, and most of the travel that I sell is within my community. And like the last thing I want is someone going to a Christmas party and I've booked their travel for 15 or 20 years, but I said no to them about booking their, let's say, national park trip because of whatever. And, and there are valid reasons. And I would say those are not properties that I book. Let's just say even a $1,500 service fee wouldn't be mm-hmm. worth it, right? Mm-hmm. You're at that stage.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: What they hear is the no and how they carry that. No. So like, let's say they're at like a fundraising event and someone says, I want to go on a South African safari. Well, don't call Rochelle because she told me she's too busy. It wasn't how I said it, but how they heard it. Uh And I think that I'm in that really scary place of, because 99% of my business are referrals and regular clients and 95% of them book. And it wouldn't even be not I'd be happy to refer them to other advisors, but they're not even really something I would be happy to refer because it wouldn't be the kind of work that would be profitable, for instance. And that is a really weird place I find myself and I don't have any experience with that. So how, what do I do? Emily looks like she has the answer. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Cause you're basically turning people down and then they're like, well, she doesn't do that or she's too busy. Right. That's kind of the thought that but also
0: like a occurs. legacy client, like not just anyone. Mm-hmm. It's like someone you've been working with for a really long time. And it's not, you're not turning the client away. You're turning down the specific request
1: is what you would like yeah. to turn away. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. For whatever reason, it's not what I do or I can't do a good job. You know, And I never make it about money. So I never want to charge more for a fee to make it about the money because that's just not where I come Mm -hmm. from. But trying to figure out how to do that. And I think most of my clients are reasonable and they would understand that because again, I'm making this about me and not about them. Mm -hmm. And they might not even think twice about being like, I broke up with them, for instance, on this trip, but it's what they hear and all it takes. Cause I think about, I would say 70% of my clients know one another.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a big really unique situation.
1: And they're in, and they're involved with the same volunteer events and you work so hard. And especially coming to my new business, they're like, oh, well, she's just not taking that because she just left where she was. Emily, I've been a travel consultant Mm -hmm. for 25 years. Mm -hmm. So I have these clients that I've had for a long time and a lot of them have very good budgets. But I've gotten to a point where at what point, like I was working on my laptop for nine hours on the whole drive home from Atlanta yesterday. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to feel like it's that, there's a point where you do, do have to say no, but who do you say no to?
0: Emily, you are our local business expert. I
2: mean, and you know everyone. In Iowa, (laughs) essentially. And I have turned people down and I have turned people down for things that I had done in the past. And it always comes down to just saying, like, I want to do a remarkable job for you. And this, so let me give an example. Like, at one point, if I were to run a client's Instagram account, I would be posting on their Instagram wall and it would be photos and text. You know what you can do on Instagram now? Reels, TV, stories you can do everything. For me to run someone's Instagram account now and do it well takes like four to five times the amount that it used to. And I would have to charge that amount more. And so I just get really honest with people and just say, look, things are changing rapidly. And for me to really support you, I would have to dedicate so much time and I just like, this is not an area that I'm going to choose to be an expert on. I'm going to stay in this lane. And that means I can support you if you're going here or here, but I, I don't want you to have a mediocre experience. And I just, I'm not doing that as a company any longer. And if that means they hear something different that's on them because you said exactly if you're vulnerable enough, And I think too, what I've tried to like, some people meet them where they're at. It's like, you can kind of show them a mirror of what they do in the world. So if they are like, they own a boutique, you can be like, you can't imagine like you would start carrying hats one day, right? Like it would totally mix up the vibe. So I'm not going to keep selling a product that no longer fits in my expertise or an experience. So if you can kind of mirror like little bit of what's going on in their life. I've always found that a little bit helpful. It's obviously unique situations for everyone, but I don't think your clients, if you have served them well and you have supported them and you are saying, this is not an area I am am offering anymore as a company, my God, I hope they wouldn't leave you and like go about, go around town, like (laughs) saying crazy things. Yeah. And the (laughs) finesse and the
1: nuance like that you just described, I think it all is about that because, (laughs) and it does need to be about them. And I've always felt that way, but just mm-hmm. the way that you actually describe that, I think, mm-hmm. you know, and it, because it kind of gives the client the control in a way, and you know, you're not making it feel that way. The other thing is a lot of my clients, I've had them for a very long time. I think I just need to come up with a gentle approach and just say, listen, I just want to make it very clear. I don't know about you, but like all of my clients have COVID brain. So it doesn't matter what I say Like Mm -hmm. what they hear, the filter is really, really difficult right now. So I just have to say, Barbara and Robin, I just want to let you know that I'm here for you. If you ever want to take another type of trip, like I almost have to take it down to a simplistic level in a way. I don't know if any of you have done couples, marriage couples therapy, like you almost have to do the Imago technique. (laughs) If you've ever learned about that, like you're supposed to always ask questions and answer back to make sure the partner or whoever is heard and just, and not do it that way, but just make it pose it almost as a question. I don't know. But this has been really helpful because I I have been a little afraid. I would echo
0: both things that Emily said. A, somebody might be a bit peeved that you say no, but if 70 to 80% of your business is in your local community and you have way too much business and they all followed you from leaving your agency there are exponentially more clients saying beautiful things about you at that fundraising event than the one who's a little bit annoyed that you said no. Mm -hmm. B, I have also gone taken the route of trying to stay in my lane, just as Emily mentioned. So I agree with you that when someone reaches out and it's not an ideal request, it's not something that I I know it's going to be super time-consuming, like a domestic national parks road trip or something... It's a time consuming no matter what, but b something that I don't really feel super experienced with. Like I've been to some of these areas personally, but I haven't been to all of them. I will never say no because I'm too busy because just like you said, you don't want someone going to the fundraising event and say, well, don't call Rochelle. She's too busy. So I'll never say no because of time. And I'll never say no because of money. I will always say no because of something related to me. And I will always explain it as my area of expertise. So Emily said staying in her lane. And Most recently, I had a request that it was literally about something that I know nothing about with a brand new client. And I said, hi, thanks so much for reaching out. The trip that you have described sounds absolutely incredible. My area of expertise is in very customized multi-leg itineraries in South America and Africa. So if you ever want to plan a trip like that, please definitely reach out and we can set up a call. I wish you all the best on your trip to Turks and Caicos, a place that I've never been and I don't know anything about. So I just, re, like, thank you, reiterated what I'm really, really good at in between the lines saying, I'm going to stay in my lane here. I want to serve you best, which means I'm not going to get involved. I say things like, I really want to enhance the experience. But if you ask me about something that I know nothing about, I can enhance the experience. I'm just doing it, right? And then wish them well and ask them to reach out again if they want to plan the trip that falls within my area of expertise. And she responded really, really positively and said, I definitely will reach out to you you know, in the future.
1: I think the fact that people even get a reply is actually a huge bonus these days because so much just even goes unanswered. I think that is actually even pretty meaningful
0: to people. And like a a meaningful response, not just to like, I'm not currently accepting inquiries or like the host agency response. "Well, We'll get back to you when we get back to you. Like what? No. Emily, thank you so much for joining our travel advisor party today.
2: Yes, this is so fun. I want to become a travel advisor now. Will you welcome you in? I'm You're
0: welcome. Start your third business and we'll bring you on in. Thank you all for joining, for asking such meaningful, thoughtful questions. I really appreciate everyone joining us today. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Masters in Travel. If you loved today's conversation as much as I did, please take a moment to leave a review, subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and be sure to share this podcast with an advisor who's ready to level up their travel business. If you want more, head over to beamasterintravel.com. On our website, you'll find a free resource library for travel advisors, free community forums where you can ask questions and support your colleagues, and courses and workshops in the Academy Marketplace to support your learning and development as a business owner and as a professional travel advisor. On our website, you can also learn about the Masters in Travel community and Think tank, a private community where we collaborate, strategize, and ideate together with advisors working towards similar goals and tackling similar challenges. Learn more and join our community at
3: beamasterintravel.com.